All right, guys. In celebration of the Bills' Monday night football win, I will be performing a Bills Mafia-style table jump to initiate this week's episode. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Oh, oh the table hit back so much harder than I expected. He is someone to watch. I'm right here, right now. And that is interesting. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear this. Let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, everyone. We are live from St. Louis County Hospital, where I am currently recovering from most of my back injuries. Table suffered minor injuries that did not require hospitalization, but I have been hearing a lot from his lawyers, so if I start up a GoFundMe soon, that is probably why. Anyway, how about them bills? They kicked some Titan butt on Monday Night Football, and them Cowboys, who stunned the AFC champion Bengals with Cooper Rush at quarterback, and even them Jets coming back from down 14 with less than two minutes left to shock the Browns in Cleveland. There were a lot of surprises from Week 2. Some things got confirmed, some things we talked about, you know, we found out that they were definitely true. Some things we talked about definitely got flipped on their heads. So it's time to go over my biggest takeaways from week two. Number one, the Bears maybe have one consistent fantasy performer, and that's David Montgomery. Darnell Mooney looks like me at my first high school dance out there. He's just walking around on the sides. He's not doing anything at all. He's making zero moves. He's getting zero fantasy points. Cole Komet didn't even show up to the dance at all. He hasn't made a single catch through two games, and none of the rest of their receivers are remotely fantasy relevant. Backup running back Khalil Herbert is extremely touchdown dependent, but you can maybe make an argument that he's a little bit fantasy relevant. But until Justin Fields can find a way to turn it around and show the ability to lead a viable passing offense, it just might be time to drop Mooney entirely. I... I'm holding on to him for one more week with the hope that he can start to turn it around against the Texans. But if that doesn't happen, the Bears receivers, all of them, are just a complete bust for fantasy this year, in my opinion. And it's really disappointing because Darnell Mooney was somebody that I was very, very high on coming into this year. If you're a long listener of this podcast, you know he was someone that I praised a lot. I thought he would have a really, really good opportunity for success. It just has not happened. Kolkomat, I wasn't as high on, but I'm stunned by the fact that he hasn't caught a single pass through two games. It just shows a huge uh, just dysfunction in the Bears' passing offense out there. It just does not look good for Chicago. They need to turn it around fast. Next up, the Colts' secondary. Speaking of things that need to get turned around fast, they are getting lit up by receiver number ones. They struggled to defend receivers last year, uh, and it, sh- it was one of the primary reasons that they failed to make the postseason. And despite adding really sneaky good veteran Stephon Gilmore this offseason, they just remained downright terrible in pass defense. They got spanked by Christian Kirk this week to the tune of 25 fantasy points. And the week before that, Brandon Cooks got him for 15. So I think the takeaway here is start your number one receivers against Indy. When they're playing Indy, and if you get top tight ends against Indy, you want to start them. Receiver twos and threes, they don't have quite as consistent production against Indy, but this week against Kansas City is pretty unique. Uh, The one for Kansas City is Juju Smith-Schuster. We've talked about him a lot. He's someone I've been high on. Hasn't really broken out yet, but him and Travis Kelsey are absolutely must-starts for me. Patrick Mahomes will light this Colts secondary up like a Christmas tree, and I would not be surprised if multiple Chiefs receivers turn in viable fantasy performances this week. I would be watching that game. 
Tua faced a ton of criticism this offseason, and we talked about a lot of that on this podcast during our offseason episodes. He dealt with viral clips of underthrows, Tyreek Hill going out and basically saying he's better than Mahomes on a podcast. It was not exactly a relaxing summer for Mr. Tugabailoa, but now we finally get to see it all in action, and it just works. He can throw the deep ball just fine. Uh, all of those viral clips be damned. And those that worried Jalen Waddle wouldn't be as involved can rest easy after the first two weeks. He has been super involved, 19 targets in week two. He has been very, very successful. This week, he and Tyreek combined for an unreal, well over 80 fantasy points. Tua himself racked up nearly 40 points as he tossed six touchdowns in the Finns' comeback win over the Ravens. They look really, really good, and so does their passing offense. They've got to keep it rolling, but they show toughness and grit coming back down from huge to win against that really, really good Baltimore team. And I think the one issue I have with Miami right now is Mike Gesicki. Mike Gesicki is kind of the uh, the one X factor with them, really. He was a complete non-factor in week one, a little bit fantasy viable in week two because he got that touchdown, but he's just clearly not a go-to option in this offense by any means. And I would just not trust him against the Bills next week, a team that is absolutely going to test my theory of the Dolphins being for real. I am really excited to see these two teams face off. They both have looked excellent to start this year. The Bills especially have looked really great on defense. Dolphins have looked really great on offense. This will be a should be a clash of titans in terms of two strengths kind of going head to head. I got to go with the Bills, but it's going to be a really fun one to watch. Next up, staying in the AFC East, Garrett Wilson is absolutely the Jets' top receiver. I knew this would happen, but I did not expect it to happen this fast. The Jets were getting beat up by the Browns on Sunday until two minutes remained in the game, and Joe Flacco turned back the clock, and he finds Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson for two quick touchdowns. They get a successful onside kick in between those. Ashton Davis grabs an interception, and they put the game away on the next drive as the as both New York football teams get a win this week. And in fact, all four of the New York teams currently in season, that is the Mets, the Yankees, the Giants, and of course the Jets, all won on Sunday for the first time since 2009. Wow, that's a long time ago. I say all of this to make the point that Garrett Wilson is the best receiver on the Jets roster. Did any of that help me make that point? Absolutely not. But this does. Eight receptions on 14 targets for 102 yards and two scores. He has been the Jets' top option through two weeks after getting eight targets in week one, and his target share could only intend, or should only continue to improve as his snap count continues to rise. He played just 49% of snaps in week one, but that jumped up to 61% of the snaps in week two. I would look to that to go upwards of 70% of snaps in week three before he just becomes an every down receiver. He is very, very talented, and the Jets clearly, clearly want to use him. Moving on, Tom Brady, former member of the AFC East over here, he just has not had a great start to the year, and the main reason is the Bucs can't keep their receivers on the field. Russell Gage led the team in receptions with five in week two as Mike Evans was limited by an ejection after catching three passes for 61 yards. Evans is now suspended for one game after reigniting his long-term beef with Marshawn Lattimore. Those two have just been going at it for years, and this time Evans decked him to protect Brady. Uh, Ironically, he would have actually helped Brady a lot more by not doing that, as now the Buccaneers will head into week three against the Packers down him and likely Godwin and Julio Jones as well. 
That just does not bode well for Tom Brady, who has already had a lot of difficulties, as we've already mentioned. He's produced just 19 fantasy points across the first two weeks. That's pretty ugly. I have to say he'll probably continue to struggle in week three against a Packers defense that did really, really well against Justin Fields. Just not looking good for Tom Brady when the options aren't there. It looks like Brashad Perriman might be his top option next to Russell Gage. It's just not going to be great for him. Uh, Moving on, the 49ers already have caught the injury bug again. They lost several key contributors, and they still haven't seen George Kittle play at all this year. Allow me to read the list of offensive inactives as of week two. Trey Lance, Elijah Mitchell, Tyrion Davis-Price, George Kittle, and Tyler Croft. Yikes. Jeff Wilson Jr. and rookie Jordan Mason are the only active running backs on the roster as of right now. And Ross Dwelly and Charlie Warner are going to have to fill tight end duties if George Kittle cannot return for week three. That is not to mention a handful of defensive injuries. And this is not the first time this has happened to the 49ers. Second time in just the last couple of years. Their injury luck has been very, very rough. Uh, and in completely unrelated news, Jimmy Garoppolo was the most added player, according to Sleeper, on Monday. So, good for Jimmy G. Wonder why that is. Anyway, Carson Wentz needs one more game to prove it to me. He has been an absolutely great fantasy option during the first two weeks of the season, but he also has yet to face a half-decent defense, and Week 3 will change that. His first two games have been against the Jaguars and the Lions. Week 3 brings the Eagles to town. And I will be watching closely to see how he handles an Eagles defense that has been very, very good to start this season. If he can continue to produce, I will definitely call myself a believer in wins. I'll tell tell you he's a viable option as a QB number one. But as of right now, I'm just not sure if I trust him to produce this week against a defense that just manhandled Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. It's going to be tough for the Commanders and Carson Wentz. But if he can do it, he absolutely will earn my trust as a long-term viable fantasy quarterback this season. Moving on to another quarterback looking to earn my trust as a long-term viable QB, Jared Goff. He has proved to me that he is viable on a week-to-week basis, though. He has been super stellar through two weeks, and I think he's moved up, uh, especially once Jamison Williams is available in that offense. He could be really, really good. He handled the aforementioned Eagles defense relatively well in, in week one, and if he can replicate that against a Vikings defense that just got thrashed by said Eagles, he would move up even higher on my list. He's just been really good. Amon Ross St. Brown has been a top option for him, and I think he'll continue to target him. And like I said, once Jamison Williams is back, that offense actually has a lot of options. They would have Amon Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams, TJ Hawkinson, uh, DeAndre Swift at running back. It's not a bad setup for Jared Goff. He could become pretty fantasy viable if that offense continues to grow. All right, that about does it for my week two takeaways. Stay tuned on Thursday for my week three starts and sits. We've been doing really, really well with those picks, so you do not want to miss it. Last week, my starts were included Amon Ross St. Brown, Christian Kirk, Carson Wentz, and Gerald Everett, all of which exceeded their sleeper projections. So meet me back here on Thursday for the list of players you need to be starting this week. I am out of here. You guys have a great one. Take care. He is someone to watch. I'm right here, right now. And that is interesting. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear this. I'm excited. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into it.